said like 84,000 kinds of suffering means just the enormous number of kinds of suffering uh, matched with 84,000 Dhamma teachings. So one of the chants that we chant, that we chanted today, uh, we recited the Chatura Siti Sahasa Dhamma Kanta means the 84,000 um, aspects of Dhamma teaching. If you think for each suffering then there's the Dhamma teaching uh, to match with that. And if we have five sufferings, then uh, also the Dhamma teaching just to match that. Uh, so now this evening, uh, Shari requested uh, contemplating Dhamma related to emotion and to uh, trauma in our life. So when I think about uh, emotion, basic human emotion, like love and hate, like and dislike, mm, it seems like there's the way that this is really perfect, really proper. Uh, it's intuitive, so we all want to get some good thing and to stay near to what's good and to develop what's good for our welfare and our well-being and our happiness and we want to get away from what's not healthy, not well, uh, unwholesome, to get away, get rid of and for that uh, unhelpful, unhealthy, unwholesome, negative thing to, to end. Yeah? This is very, very deep in us and completely intuitive for our welfare and our well-being that we should feel like that. Proper, proper. And you might think even according to the Buddhist teaching also. It's right. 
if we look at the Noble Eightfold Path, then we look at uh, right effort, samma vayamo, on the path, then also, if you read about four parts, four aspects of this, it says for, really seems very intuitive. Does anyone know about this? Have you studied about the four, four right efforts and the fold of right effort in the Noble Eightfold Path? It seems so completely intuitive. It says basically two positive and two negative. Which one is the first one? Ayasubhijana? But the first one is the Buddha often starts with the negative. But it's first. to, to um, cultivate the desire for the non-arising of unarisen, unwholesome uh, mental states. So I'll summarize. Uh, basically, <laughs> you don't want bad things to happen. Yes? So you wish, you wish bad things will not happen to me. Any bad things that haven't happened yet, don't want them to happen. Yeah? And so we have that wish even to cultivate that wish. Any negative thing that hasn't arisen yet, let it not arise. But she mentioned mental states. So, we're talking about our mind. And we're talking about emotion. Yes? Uh, negative emotion. Yeah? Because anything can happen and you have this many people in the room and something happens and everybody's going to respond differently. Afterwards, you ask them what happened and one person will tell you, I think it was great because of this, this and this, yeah? And that is so, so excellent. And another person, maybe not Sylvia, but another hypothetical person will say, no, <laughs> that was worthless. <laughs> <laughs> I wasted my time and uh, uh, have a, a negative perception, yeah? And uh, feeling badly about that, yeah? Uh, if you ask each person, maybe each one will have perceived and responded to that a little bit differently. Even they were all there together, yeah? Uh, in, in one room together like we are now. I learned about the crime scene. At the crime scene, police doing the interview of the witnesses. And this is a very difficult thing because you ask 10 different people and normally you get at least 15 different stories. Yes? <laughs> about what happened and who did what and who said what and why and uh, and, and who did the bad thing and, and this kind of thing. So a lot of different, uh, different perceptions can be there and it can change. So if somebody else is leading and they say, but did they look at you badly? And then the other one hadn't noticed, but then they think about it and then the memory, oh, maybe they did look at me badly, right. And then the negative feeling starts, yeah? even can come afterwards, after the fact, just from an idea. 
just from saying something or even we just say something privately alone to ourselves, just to ourselves. We think back and, oh, maybe she really did me wrong. Hmm, now I don't feel so happy about that anymore. Hmm, and five years later I see her again and I'm still holding that thought and I look at her and, hmm, maybe she did me, I think she did me wrong that time, like this. Or it can be the other way, it can be the opposite side. It can be, I think, oh, I think he likes me. I think he loves me. Oh. And then we see later on, maybe he didn't, didn't anything, nothing at all. But just, we, we thought like that. And then think afterwards, then see again. And, oh, right, I remember. This is the guy, I think he liked me. <laughs> right? And then our body changes from that thought. It shifts and changes. But then we, oh, wait a minute, I put on my glasses, that's not him, that's somebody else, that's that guy who did me wrong. <laughs> and then my heart gets hard, my belly gets hard, my breath becomes short, I become hot or cold, the body, I mean, within a few seconds, just based upon that thought, shifting in just a moment. Yes? Oh, so powerful, the mind. So powerful, the thought, so powerful, the view, how we see the things and how we choose to put our mind to the people, to the things. During the meditation time, we made a choice, if you did the meditation together, to make beautiful thinking to the entire world, to all living beings wishing no harm, harmlessness, wishing for their well-being, benevolence, not thinking about them with consumptive desire, I want this from her, I want that from him, uh, as object of consumerism, Rather than the looking at all with greed or with desire, we radiated out loving-kindness with generosity as a gift, with an open and giving and sharing heart. So for the path, for our view, how we see, the situation, who am I in this situation, my relationship. Second, our intention, what kind of intention. Now, uh, if I were a doctor and I'm going to work, maybe I wish to meet people who are in suffering. Ayasuvijana here broke her arm recently. She went to the hospital. She said, they tortured her. Made her put her arm up in a kind of rack to stretch it out and traction it. It's much more painful than even at the time of breaking. But she said she remembered 
they're there with loving kindness to help her. They're not torturers. <laughs> they're not trying to, <laughs> what is it, not, not sadistic, <laughs> uh, not trying to harm her, not trying to hurt her. They're trying to help her. So she made a mind of loving kindness towards them. That Lumpur Mahaprasar was saying earlier on, he suggested, number one, think about this painfulness, let me burn off and release my past bad karma. Number two, loving kindness. Let me spread out loving kindness and benevolence, a good mind uh, to this whole situation and all the people in this situation. He said, number three, if I die from this, let me go to heaven. <laughs> because my mind is good, my heart is good. And then I can meet the future Buddha there and I can listen to the future Buddha's Dhamma teaching and I can get awakened from that teaching in heaven. <laughs> so what a beautiful mind, what a good mind for meeting that traumatic, painful and difficult situation. I heard before that childbirth is most painful, the most strongest pain uh, that the human being can experience. But I know some women who have children sometimes say even not so painful, but sometimes very painful. Even we looked at the old text, the sutta from the Buddha's time, and it mentions even the women who commit suicide because they don't want to go through childbirth anymore. It's enough of this pain, then they commit suicide because of that. And a lot of ladies died from giving birth at that time. Now it's quite a lot less, but at that time, to give birth, then you have to be afraid you're going to lose your life. Still. Yeah? And still, it's so, so painful. And we think about, oh, the compassion of mothers who are, who are willing to give birth to, to us. Even this is very painful, so I asked when they're tractioning the bone, she said it's number 10 on the pain scale. Is it more painful than childbirth? More traumatic than childbirth or less? Well, I had explained that because I had done um, Zen practice, yes, and I had understood about sensation yes. and worked with pain, that I knew that my body when I was giving birth, was doing what it needed to do, so I didn't fight against it. Yes. And so I experienced strong sensation, but it didn't distress me. Mm, I see. Strong sensation, but not distressed. Interesting. Interesting. And you learn this from the meditation practice? With the uh, mind of uh, acceptance of yes. phenomena, and uh, during meditation, just knowing when the pain was harmful and when the pain was not harmful. Mm. Not to, like when I was meditating, not to go beyond the point where I would be hurting myself. Not to self-inflict harm. But just knowing, sitting there, and there's going to be some experience of discomfort. So then I worked with the pain in the meditation, and then... When I was giving birth, I was like saying, this is not harmful, this is what the body is supposed to be doing. So I just cooperated with the body. Hmm. So then the, and then there was the arising and passing of the, you know, the intensity, all of us women who have given birth. Like then there's this intense moment, and then it passes. 
But what about going to the dentist? Worse or? Hmm. Because maybe everybody here went to the dentist. Also, just relax, try to relax, just hmm. trust. <laughs> trust the doctor knows, knows what he's doing. Yes, but what about, what about a different kind of circumstance? Uh, I think about the sutta where the Buddha is talking to the, uh, his disciple Puna or Purna, Maitreyana, uh, Maitreyanat, uh, Puna. So uh, in India, uh, apparently, similar to the Old West, uh, the western side was known as wild and rough. Not so like delicately cultured and civilized as those who were on the eastern side. Uh, eastern side people thought the western side people were wild and rough. So Pune came from the western side, from the west coast of India, means the Arabian Sea area, over on the west coast from an area where people were famed to be wild and rough. And he came and he met the Buddha and learned from the Buddha and gained in his practice uh, quite quickly. He understood the Buddha's teaching deeply and then he said that he wanted to go back alone himself to this wild rough area, these wild rough people on the west coast. But the other monks said, wait, <laughs> you go back there alone like this talking about a new religion or something new teaching like this. These people are wild and rough. What are they, they going to do to you? And then the Buddha talked to him about it. And he, he asked him, he tested him before him going. And he said, Puna, are you sure? Why don't you stay here for a while longer? Uh, those people where you, you came from, these people are rumored to be wild and rough. What if you go back and you come back as a Buddhist monk and you start to talk about Dhamma and what if they abuse you? What if they say abusive speech to you? What will you do? And Punna said, what? Well, then I'll be grateful that they didn't throw dirt clods at me. He says, I'll be grateful they didn't throw clods of manure at me. <laughs> they don't, I'll be grateful they don't throw shit at me. Excuse my language. Uh, but dung, dung throwing uh, or clod throwing, yes? I'll be grateful they didn't do that. And then he asks, well, what if they do throw clods at you? What will you do then? Then I'll be grateful that they didn't throw rocks at me. Right. I'll be grateful they didn't stone me. Right. Uh, so this is pretty, pretty wild and radical here. And then the Buddha says, "Okay, good. That sounds, that sounds good. But what if they do stone you? These people are wild and rough, Punya. They do stone people sometimes. They do that. Uh, they're known." for doing this kind of thing. You go back with a shaven head and Buddhist monk's robes, you know, first guy from the, the new religion like that, go back, there's a likelihood they're going to stone you. And what if they do stone you? Then I'd be grateful that when they stabbed, stabbed him with a knife, didn't stab me with a knife and kill me? I'd be grateful that they didn't stab me with a knife and kill me. So what kind of mind he, he had? like this. 
what did he say? How did he say he would abide in their regard if they were if they were treating him then like if, this? And then if, but then he, oh, okay, let's go on then. What if they do stab you and kill you? Then what if they do give you blows such as to such as to kill you? Then it was something about the um, being released because he was an arahant, wasn't he? Then he would be released. Like, they saved me the trouble. <laughs> he said this kind of thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll thank them because they saved me the suffering. <laughs> so, what a kind of, what a kind of amazing and kind of strong, strong mind this Puna had. So I contemplate about this and think, wow, this is really kind of a strong and amazing mind. And what kind of, a, what kind of kindness and compassion, what kind of love he must have for these people in this country that he came from, that's wild and rough, where there's the fear or expectation if he comes back that they might behave like this. And yet he has this kind of love and kindness and compassion that he's willing to go anyway. This is a really wild and, and radical mind of love and of compassion. It means to try to ease, to try to reduce suffering. Formerly, he had suffering and he connected with the Buddha's teaching and that suffering was gravely reduced in his mind and he learned how truly, not just to wish not to have more suffering, but how not to allow more suffering to arise and proliferate. So like this first part of right effort, we have the wish that the suffering that hasn't come to be, won't come to be in our mind. That our mind is not going to meet things, internal or external, whether broken arm or whether decaying body or whatever kind of body pain or whether it's the afflictive driver cutting you off on the freeway or the bad boss or your parent or grandparent or son or daughter or spouse or dear loved one or brother or sister or somebody, somebody you don't even know and don't even care about says something bad to you, mean and nasty. Uh, or just not pleasing, not what you wanted. It was your birthday and they forgot. Or the kind of flowers that they got were not the color that you like. And you have the opportunity to be like, huh, they couldn't even remember what color I like on my birthday. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm gonna go eat worms. Did you ever hear that song? Do you know that one, Olivia? Did you learn this song? I learned this as a kid. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Now I'm going to go eat worms. Pout, 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 pout. Sorry, sorry, sorry for myself. Did, am I giving rise to a negative emotion or not? Yeah? Do I have to? No, everybody's shaking their head. Are you sure? I don't have to, really? Are you sure? Please, shake your head again. 
I'm happy not to give rise to any more negative emotion. You can confirm for me. No, you don't have to. You don't have to anymore. Is it my choice? Whether I do or not? Really? But what about the emotion can be so strong? It can come up, seem like so fast and so strong. How with your meditation? What you learned in your meditation? How can you work with that? when the feeling can come up so fast and so strong. I hate that! Oh, oh. Fast. So fast like that. Then what? Then you go for the second. Oh, second? Second the what? Second part of the, no, the um, right effort, which the is... The second right effort. Second right striving. Yes? What's that? So, to abandon the arisen First you have to see it though, you have to say, oh, you have to be able to identify it. Right, oh, first you not... have to see it, but if you're just deceived by it, if you're just drawn into it, if it's just like the raging river and you just jump in and get carried away, then you're like, wah, carried away. And then you're there with anger and sorrow and carried away by the flood. And? So, so you have to be able, to, because you've, you're, you're thinking about all four of them that in advance you think if uh, unwholesome mental states arise I will abandon it so then abandon so you so then what does abandon mean? well you see it if you it's reckon, mine how can I abandon it? if it's me well you see it and think I think oh this is harmful this is anger this is dangerous. Isn't that why people commit suicide? They feel bad and they don't want to suffer anymore and they think this, this suffering is me and then they try to kill, kill the body to end the suffering? Well, it's a rising of, of a state and it's not me, not mine, not a self. Oh, the arising of a state. Not me, not mine, not myself. Now, this I find really, really radical. Yeah? Because the way I grew up, how I learned growing up, we talked about, I am angry, I am upset, that this is me, this is mine, this is myself. We learned to think like that, yeah? And now you say, not me, not mine, not myself, why? What do you mean? This is really, this is a radical, radical preposition. Proposition. Because... It's impermanent and it has the nature to arise and pass away. Oh, impermanent. Is it impermanent? Is it true? There's one sutta. Now, this last full moon was the lunar anniversary of the Buddha's very first teaching. Uh, teaching the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, turning the wheel of the Dhamma. And in that very first teaching, we have the Four Noble Truths and we have the Eightfold Path and this part about right effort that we're talking about now as well as right mindfulness that we're talking about here now also um, part they're right next to each other in the noble eightfold path in fact they you might even if you looked at the path you could even think these are like the legs that this wheel is standing on uh, on the ground this right mindfulness and this right effort uh, together you could even look at. I, sometimes I think about it like that. On the wheel is like the, the legs there. The view is up at the top and then your intentions up at the top and these are like the legs that you're standing on. 
so just to have the thought, just to have the idea, suppose it were true that these things are impermanent and thus they're actually not me, not mine, not myself. Truly, they rise out of conditions and pass when the conditions end. And afterwards, I think I'm still there afterwards. What is I in this case? Good question. But still aware, still alive, and it's risen and passed away and gone. Hmm. So what is it then in your practice? Now, this is the arising. <laughs> the arising of the cricket sound. So oh, everybody has such a good heart. Chuckling and smiling. Good mind <laughs> about that. Uh, so number two also I feel is very intuitive. It's really what we want. That is anything difficult that has arisen, we would like it to come to an end. We would like to see it decrease and come to an end. But this is with regards the mind foremost. And this is right effort. So it's how to do that with the mind. How to bring, how to make the choice and know how to apply ourselves that any kind of mental suffering that arose, rather than fueling it more, rather than keeping it going, we learn how to let it decrease and fade away and end. Because if it gets no more fuel, if it's not maintained for anything, if it's not maintained and it doesn't get food, it doesn't get fuel, what happens? Huh? It dies. If it's a living being, it dies. And if it's something else that doesn't get maintained, even even it's, uh, what is it, a house that was built and you go away, let it go, 20 years later, what happens? It will crumble, especially if it's an old Thai house. <laughs> if it's made of stone, it may take it a while longer. But even those great stone monuments in India, we see when they were found again and covered over with earth and crumbled down and the trees are growing up on top of them and even made of stone still crumbles and falls away. So all kinds of forms of life, if they don't get fed, they have to pass away. Even if it's stone, if it's not maintained, it will crumble and fall away in time, yeah? So if we feed it, if we maintain it, it will keep going. If not, it can decrease. No fuel, burn out, go out. And then 
that suffering mental state has gone out. No more exists. Refreshing. And still, we're at that time, are you any less yourself? When that suffering has ended, are you any less yourself? Means if you thought that suffering is me, mine, and myself, then when the suffering is gone, you should be less yourself. Right? Or not yourself anymore. But when suffering ends, are you any less yourself? No, not. In fact, I feel, this is just using language, for me, I feel when stupid delusions and afflictions have ended, I feel like all the more like my true self. Ah, this is comfortable, this is nice, this seems like my, my true self, this seems like who I, really, who I really am. This is good, this is excellent, this is really nice. Yeah? And then if you're around somebody who's like that most of the time, if they get angry about something, oh, that's strange, that's not like them. That's, that's, they don't seem like themselves today. Yeah? <laughs> They're something, yeah, we have that expression, yeah? We have that expression in English, like not like themselves. There's something strange, something different is going on, like not normal, not natural for them, right? If they're angry all the time, if they're the person every single day they're angry, they wake up and every time you see them, they're always grumping, always crouching, always complaining, always irritated about something and somebody, then for them, for them now, if you see them one day and they say hi, and you say hi, oh, you look different today. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. Really? I never heard them say that before. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> you don't seem like yourself today. So really we're just talking about habit. Just habit. But then if there's 10 days and 20 days that they're like this and then next year and the year after they're nice like that and then the people that know them during that time even if you told them they're an angry person. But no, not so. Not so anymore. The person I know is, is nice and kind and they're happy. They're a happy person. Yeah. So then we go to happiness. What's next? It's to um, bring up or to, I always, it's develop. Give rise to bring uh, up unarisen uh, wholesome states unarisen wholesome states in the, the mental states mental states in the mind yes so also I feel like this is completely intuitive and it's just like what we want that is for good things that haven't arisen yet in our mind in our heart in our life would we like them to arise or not Unless we hate ourselves, or unless we don't care about ourselves, would we like good things to happen and arise for us? Certainly. Maybe we don't want to be greedy about it, maybe we don't want to be unrealistic, but like to have the good things happen, good things arise, like to be able to have 
happiness arise, joy to arise, peacefulness to arise, loving-kindness to arise, compassion to arise. Would you like it or not? No, why? Somebody's shaking their head? No? Who would, who would not like that? Like, no, I want to be grouchy forever. <laughs> I don't like happiness. <laughs> Take your happiness and go. <laughs> this is a grouchy, grouchy mind. <laughs> yeah, certainly, of course, naturally, 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 we would like that. But this is developing, what is it, the right effort, knowing how to do that, knowing how to bring up happiness, knowing how to bring up understanding, knowing how to bring up compassion, knowing how to bring up joy, peacefulness, clarity, ease. We learn how to. In your meditation time this evening, even, maybe everybody here already knew the things that we do, because you learned how to do that. Skill, skill that we can learn. Then when we learn it, just like we learn how to cook something, and then we can cook it, or we learn how to perform some task at work, and then we do that, this also we can learn and do. Even compared to learning some kind of complicated thing that takes two years or five years or ten years education to learn, this is a skill we can learn more fast. Someone can learn basically even in 20 minutes and then practice even 20 minutes a day for three days. Already they should have some understanding. Seven days, already they should have some skill with that. And this is the life skill that can make it so we know how to turn towards healthy, happy, positive emotion by choice, by our knowing how touching into this deep wish in our heart to be happy, and then just doing what's smart, doing what's wise, how the wise person knows how to be with the things. And whatever is going on, whether it's fantastic or whether it's terrible or whether it's fantastic or whether it's terrible or whether it's just blah, like same old, same old, same old, the wise one, learning the ways of a wise one, a smart one, not the fool, not who lives foolishly, not who just lives in delusion, just mucking around and messing around in the world and something happens and they just have to suffer and they're like a slave to their emotions arising and then like the slave driver is behind them and they have to go like that and feeling driven by the negative emotion, inexorably propelled uh, and bound up like the slave in the prison with the negative emotion. We learn how to open up the prison door, how to walk out, how to take off the chains, how to put them down, how to walk out into the sunshine, fresh air, peaceful garden means our beautiful, our beautiful mind. How to breathe in, breathe out, let ourselves be healed, let our body and mind be well, be at ease. How to make that beautiful mind like this. Because just by a thought, just by a thought, one thought, the mind leaves. And then everything else follows from that. So knowing how to make 
A good thought. But what's number four? What's the um, cultivating and maintaining the already arisen wholesome mental states? Cultivating and maintaining the already arisen wholesome mental states. Isn't there another part? Well, actually all of them is generating the desire for the, oh, maintaining, bringing them to fulfillment. So in the Buddha's teaching, number one, good to be clear, it's okay that we feel like this. For these four things, these four thoughts, we have them naturally. It's natural to have them. And in the Buddha's teaching, it's okay to have the desire for the negative mental states to end, for negative things that haven't happened, for them not to arise, not to happen, for the good things to arise, for the good things to continue and to maintain and to develop to fulfillment. To bring to fulfillment, bring even. To it goes that far, that is, we all, I think we all have a wish for fulfillment, a sense of the possibility of fulfillment, of there being, feeling whole, complete, enough. Like this, this is good, this is happy, this is well, this is, this is complete, yeah? Fulfillment, a sense of fulfillment. So this is one thing in this path where coming to this kind of uh, contentment and sense of wholeness and fulfillment is not just a pipe dream, not just a myth, not just a fantasy, not just like the lore on the wheel with the mouse and like running after, running after, running after, running after. But if you don't apply right effort, wise effort, if it's wrong effort, if it's not wise, if it's not well applied, you can have that wish, but because the effort is not matching, then not successful. And so you chase after it and you chase after it, but it feels like it's endless, like samsara, and like you're just endlessly spinning your wheel and you never come to that. So what we learn in this path, in this training, in the three trainings of this path, how to come, how to do these four things, including the last one. Now, I can say I'm not an arahanta yet, but this is one of the big surprises for me, is that contentment comes and ease comes. I didn't expect it, actually. I thought striving, 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 and like even kind of give, give up hope in a way that there's ever going to be peace and ease and contentment. But let me just try what the Buddha taught. And I trust anyway in cause and effect, I think. It's scientific, cause and effect. So if this teaching is correct, and if I do it properly and dedicatedly, then effect will come. If the cause is there, the effect will come. I'm really glad over time to see how the effect actually has come, does come and has come. And so nice, uh, even before becoming an arahanta, kind of sense of 
happiness and fulfillment and contentment that there can be. Previously unimagined, it's like that idea before, just a fantasy. A fantasy is just like a mirage, just like a shadow, yeah? But this is, we can feel in our present moment full awareness with this body and mind. So I want to stop now here uh, for a moment because I would like to give time for discussion uh, or any Q&A.